Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. This is Angelique Luna. I'm here with my co-host and husband, John C. Luna. Hello, everyone. And today we have a special guest. I actually saw her do a presentation at ASAT, uh, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists in Las Vegas, swinging in the black community. Her name is Chantal Blue. She's also the co-founder of Blue Counseling and Wellness Center in Mount Claire, New Jersey. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified school social worker in the state of New Jersey. She specializes in issues related to parent-child conflict, anxiety, depression, self-esteem, body image, and a large range of sexuality concerns. And she has this awesome bio, but I'm going to let her explain more what she does there. Welcome to the show, Shanta. Hi, thank you for having me. Like I was saying, loved your presentation, swinging <laughs> in the black community there. Um, yeah. Tell us more. Like, why was that important to do as a presentation at a- a- ASAC? It was important, number one, because I know ASAC is trying to, you know, build more cultural confidence within their workshops and their conferences. Um, so I thought this would be a great time to kind of bring something like this to the forefront so the masses could see it. Um, because in my experience, you know, there, are, there aren't a lot of, I guess, resources out there for mm-hmm. people of color who want to in- indulge in this like swinging lifestyle or, you know, there's not a lot of research on it. There's not a lot of just regular information about the black experience in the swing lifestyle. So I thought it would be great to just kind of bring it to different professionals and see, you know, how they reacted to it, if it was something that they were interested in. Um, And I think I got a really good turnout for that workshop. Yes, (laughs) it was. It it was almost fully packed. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) So I had a lot of fun with it and I had a great audience um, and it was like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed presenting that because this has been, Um, something I've been passionate about for a really long time. Um, Even when I was getting my second master's at Widener, like I started my first year, like my first class, I did a paper on swingers. (laughs) They were like, yeah, you're not going to find a lot of information out out there about this, but good luck with it. Um, So I've just just been (laughs) building the bibliography and everything, just trying to find as many resources as I possibly can to see, okay, what's going on here where you know I know there's this subset of people out there so where are we finding them (laughs) how are they how is their experience in this lifestyle so yeah that was it (laughs) yeah no it was interesting because that's why I definitely wanted you on the show because you're right there is a lack of resources for people of color in the swinging community because even if you look at other podcasters bloggers and um what do you call it authors it is Mm -hmm. predominantly white i mean yes the poly community uh, polyamory community is coming a lot more people of color and it's like they're doing a fantastic job but the swingers are still yeah Mm -hmm. 
far mm-hmm. and few, but we've seen them. We've seen them at, it's like an endangered species here. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like we've gone to the clubs. I know they uh-huh. exist. <laughs> exactly. Usually when you go to the club, there's maybe like one or two black couples or, you know, there may be like an interracial couple there that is, you know, black and another um, race, but yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's typically all you'll find unless, you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody about these particular events, at least in my region of the world, which is um, New Jersey, New York area, tri-state area. Um, that's typically how it is. Like you go out there and you see a lot of predominantly white spaces in the swinger community, but not too many ones for people of color. And why is that? <sighs> um, there's uh, so many different reasons. It could be, Um, maybe that the people of color swingers aren't, you know, organizing and developing their own events, or they're not even, you know, going to these different events and just staying more private and meeting people off the different websites and doing like little things at their own homes. Um, maybe there's no need for it. Maybe people feel like there's not enough people of color who are in the swinger lifestyle to actually need to have, you know, specific events, but you know, I think there is a large population of it and they're looking for these events, but they're not there. And so they either have to create their own or just, you know, do smaller get togethers like in private. Um, and Cause a lot of it is, you know, socializing and wanting to go out to lounges and, you know, what they call sex parties and, you know, meet people that way. But if the opportunity isn't there, it's a little difficult. Yeah, because I remember in your presentation, you said, um, mentioning like cultural differences, like mm-hmm. how some of the men don't want to do that because it's sometimes dominant by women or. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's as far as swinging as a whole, there's a lot of stigma to it as well because of all the consensual non-monogamy style relationships out there, swinging is definitely the most heteronormative. So it typically praises the, you know, heterosexual couple (laughs) and then the couple trying to find maybe a single female or another couple. Um, There may be some men who want to try single swinging, but it's difficult as a single guy because a lot of the parties don't allow single men Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And then if you're a bisexual man, that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) And especially being a black bisexual male, that can hold a lot of different stigmas with it as well. So, yeah, it can be difficult. Well, I'll I'll contest to being a bisexual male. It definitely uh, opens a few doors but closes others. Um, Yes. But, yeah, being being a black bisexual male, that, that, that is the subset of the subset. And um, Mm -hmm. being swinging or BDSM already is one of those alternative lifestyles. Yep. And then playing the minority of the minority inside of there, um, Mm -hmm. it it, it does make it difficult. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's being so many people, you know, do swinging on the down low to begin with. So it's not something they advertise. I mean, obviously there are the websites and the clubs and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it, I could see a definite difficulty in trying to, uh, making it more welcome, you know, mm-hmm. for those people who aren't and showing so, up. Yeah, and I, I love that because, yes, swinging 
typically is one of those down low type of orientations because some people don't see it as, you know, their sexual orientation, their lifestyle. Other people see it as like, this is strictly sex. This is, you know, purely, I want to have sexual relationships with these people. And you don't, naturally, you don't go around telling everybody who you're having sex with and how many people you're having sex with, (laughs) unless you're telling, you know, close friends or something like that. So swinging is, you know, normally seen as just sex. But there are certain subsets once within that who are like, no, this is my lifestyle. This is who I want to be. And so that it kind of borders that just sex and then entering the polyamorous style lifestyle, you know, and, you know, having that, that boundary can be kind of murky for some people. They're like, well, do you just want to have sex or do you want to have these meaningful relationships with other people? And some were like, I want to have both. Like, why can't I have both? So that's true. Your cake and eat it too. I, I just yeah. recently had a conversation with someone, and we agreed that there, there's two type of types of people in the swinging lifestyle: those who are in it for their um, significant other, or trying it to, mm-hmm. to please someone, and those who consider it a lifestyle. Because yep. it's it's usually yeah, it's that polarized that it's one of the two of it's mm-hmm. either us or it's a hobby. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I see that a lot. You know, I I know people in the swinger community who this is their lifestyle. This is who they are. They do events all the time. They host events all the time. Um, Their family knows that they're, you know, swinging or, you know, close friends may know that they're in like a swinging lifestyle. And then it's the complete opposite where nobody knows at all. Like, this is my personal business. Only the people who I'm engaging in these sexual activities with know that I'm in this swinging lifestyle. And it's like, that's it. Like, my partner is in with me. Or, you know, I do know some what they call unicorns who are single females who don't have a partner who go to swinging events and consider themselves swingers, they're like, nobody else needs to know about it either. So yeah, it's these two polar opposites. There's no, typically there's no in between. But you, you brought up a word there I want to talk. Uh, you said their, their families know. Um, mm-hmm. Being you've studied this uh, in school, which I love. I mean, I can say I study this as a hobby and we all talk about <laughs> we're in the lifestyle, but I'm like, I had someone who actually studied this in college. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> so, yeah. it, it puts such that stamp of legitimacy there that mm-hmm. we all desire. <laughs> but um, one thing we have talked about is um, I, I'm sort of out to my family. Uh, mm-hmm. An- Angelique is sort of. No, I'm not totally, totally out. Yeah, I'm out totally to out. Hers. They just don't choose to you know acknowledge, acknowledge it. it there you know a typical mexican family so it's like yeah yeah <laughs> and that, that's the point depending on our upbringings depending on our family the reactions of our families were different yeah and, and, and i'm curious in, in uh i'm assuming as part of your study you've done interviews with couples in, mm-hmm. uh, or single in coming out and doing all this um how does that affect how is that affected i guess by culture um do we find that I'm curious in, in the people of color and in, in, in that community, is it more like what the hell are you doing or mm-hmm. is it more accepted? I know mm-hmm. I had a friend come out who, who was, his parents were uh, uh, very Christian and mm-hmm. they said, well, you can choose that or us. Mm-hmm. And it was that, that very black and white of you give it up or you get out. And I know culture mm-hmm. has to come into this. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I haven't unfortunately found 
research, like in actual articles and, you know, scientific studies that have been done. But in my just casual, like talking to different um, clients that are in the swinger lifestyle or just people I know who are in that lifestyle, um, uh, unfortunately, the lot of ones that I've spoken to aren't out to their families. Um, there's maybe like two or three that I know who, you know, some, some select family members know, and they're really cool with it. And they came out to those family members because they knew they could trust them with that. Um, but it is a huge cultural stigma, especially, you know, from my experiences in the black community is that, you know, it's very Christian based. And Mm -hmm. so anything outside of traditional marriage sexual encounters are completely taboo. Um, And nobody really wants to talk about it, even though it happens all the time. And sometimes it's not consensual at all. It's just, you know, affairs that happen and people still don't want to talk about those things and don't want to recognize that, okay, people have different lifestyles and it's okay and they can still believe in God Um, if they choose to believe in God and they can still have these sexual relationships if they want to. Um, So, you know, the around sexuality in general, there's a lot of stigmas within the African-American community, Um, especially like I mentioned before, like it's tough for bisexual black men or gay black men to come out in general about their sexual orientations um, because it's like, the black masculinity is held on such a high pedestal and, you know, you have to be this type of strong, you know, man who like, how could you have sex with another man? That means you're weak and, you know, all these different stigmas that kind of surround it. So it can be difficult if they choose to come out to their families. And then, you know, if you are in a partnership and, you know, you have other extended family members with, and then you have children and then you have people saying like, well, you know, how can you have this around your children? How can you do these things when you have children? And sometimes it's like, well, I'm not having sex right in front of my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, not the, that's not the issue. I'm not, you know, constantly having people come in and out of the house while my children are around because, you know, I'm having these, you know, sex parties. It, people completely want to demonize the the different relationship styles that people have whether it's you know poly or swinging or kink because they don't understand it they don't know the dynamics of it and they don't realize how sometimes these alternative lifestyles can be a lot more welcoming and communicable than normal you know traditional I'm using air court quotes here <laughs> traditional um, dating styles and marriage styles. So it's, it's hard, I think, in any non-traditional, air quotes, <laughs> um, relationship style that you come out in. Well, it, it oh, is kind of hard getting used to something where you're not raised in. It's different from your upbringing. Well, it's always it is, all it about is. the children. Oh, my God, the children. And I'm like, really? Yes. It's like <laughs> even as monogamous married couple, why isn't mm-hmm. anyone else saying, oh, the children about sex? Seriously. Yeah. And when it comes to swinging in polyamory or even BDSM, that's the first thing they automatically assume. And it's like you're going to corrupt your children and they're going to be these sexual deviants, you know, and, you know, do all these different crazy things that will make their souls go to hell if they believe in hell. Like, why? Like, why is that an issue right now? Oh, tell I'm me not about it. I'm traumatize my children. <laughs> 
and, and you know, funny part is, it's like we've seen several of our friends in the various different lifestyles, and mm-hmm. predominantly with the polyamory and BDSM, it's been very beneficial for the kids because they've actually learned structure, discipline. Yeah. And mm-hmm. respect, and they know that they're loved in every aspect. It's like, mm-hmm. especially if they're in like an polycule, that they have at least someone in that polycule representative at a school event because yes. Mama Dan is traveling yes. or something else. You know, whatever it is, they always have a loved one there for them. And it's again, how is this damaging? I, I still want to know. I feel like I feel like a red briefly like skimmed an article in passing about all of the benefits that come from having children within polycules. Like it's amazing how well developed they are, how articulate children can, you know, become the become in those relationship styles and those family dynamics because they're always having people, you know, talking to them and engaged with them and supporting them in different areas of their lives, whether it's with sports and school competitions, with friendships, everything. Like they're they're starting to hopefully get build more and more research on the benefits of it. And you know, that relationship style isn't for everyone. I'm big on people designing their own relationships and you figure out what works best for you and your partner or partners. If that's the case, like no one relationship style is more superior than the other. It's just like, we need to find this, you know, effective research about all the different relationship styles so we can support all of these different ones, you know, however way people see fit. So, yeah, I, I don't like demonizing and diminishing any anybody's relationship style. Oh, no, totally agree. But it sounds like you're already on the path of doing that research there. <laughs> Slowly but surely. I have a lot on my plate. I wish I could devote more time to, like, actual research, but it's just it just doesn't happen. <laughs> I know sometimes you you got to pick between doing the research and actually helping, you know, yes. clients and people. Yes. 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 Eventually once I, you know, get the practice going a lot more and doing that full time and then can hire other people, then maybe I can sit down and do some research. That'll be nice. Definitely. Now, are a lot of your clients alternative lifestyles or do you have a good mix in your I practice? Have a good mix. Um, So right now, only about 20% of my clients are within some type of alternative lifestyle, um, whether it's kink, swingers, I have a couple, uh, maybe two poly folks, um, and the rest are just sexuality issues, like dysfunction issues as far as erectile disorders, premature ejaculation, vaginismus, things like that, and then I have a larger subset that are here just for like anxiety, depression, things like that. So it ranges. I was reading through your bio correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going off of memory here, mm-hmm. but you made several mentions of, um, I guess you do a workshop on talking to your children about sex. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that next to, um, you know, working with the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. One thing we've tr- started to work on is there's lots of resources out there to talk to children about sex. Regardless mm-hmm. of whether you're going from abstinence or, or full, you know, whatever, there's lots of resources. Mm-hmm. When we started looking for resources to talk to your children who's a member of that LGBTQ community, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, a lot of that began to dwindle. Yes. Lots of information about being political in it, 
or what do you mm-hmm. do when you're in it. But as far as, you know, that particular topic, it, it was very barren. Mm-hmm. It is completely. I think I have maybe two books, like children's books, books that were like specifically made for children that talks about all different types of um, sexual orientations and sexualities and genders and um, all that. And it's like a cartoony book which is great, but it doesn't necessarily help the parents who want to talk to their children about it. It helps the child understand everything. Um, But yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of resources on it. And it's helpful to have maybe members in your community that can talk about it and prep you for that and, and those different topics. But that's also rare as well. Like it's, it's a hot commodity when you find somebody, a professional, whether it's an educator or a therapist or counselor who can, you know, help bridge those conversations. And that's what I try to do with a lot of my clients and their parents is, you know, let's all sit down. (laughs) Like I can provide you with this education piece and then, Hey, let's talk about it together. If you have any questions about it, let's explore a little bit more. But unfortunately, like I haven't found any, any books that, specifically are designed for parents to talk to their teens about LGBTQIA populations. So if you find some, please let me know. (laughs) I think the word is getting out there. It's like, please help us find these resources because we're all dying for them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know there's one coming out, 25 different sexual orientation teachings um, from the national, uh, a sex education conference there that they're coming out yes. but yeah that that's like again that's all about sexual orientation not so much lgbt sex ed so yes well the yes. whole topic is, is, i admit is developing you know this is, mm-hmm. is all new stuff in the last 30 years the books are getting read mm-hmm. and it was uh someone at woodhall brought up a topic about um just swinging poly in a lifestyle and they mm-hmm. said, look, look at all the books that have been written, The Ethical Slut. And they went through, uh, what was it? Opening uh, Up. Which opening is up, up. The yeah. whole list of them. And they're like, 90% of every author is a white woman. And I thought, <laughs> yep. oh, my God, they're right. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just spawned off into a little conversation of, well, okay, so, so we need a swinging book or an Apollo book and a BDSM book written by other people to get other other uh, uh, viewpoints in on this. What other stuff are we missing? And I'm mm. like, oh, I know one. And, of course, it was, you know, talking to your children. And we're starting to come up with more and more of these small topics mm-hmm. that just seem to be a completely barren open area for a great author. You know, yelling out to one of our listeners, write the mm. book. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> no. time. <laughs> I always, my mom always says, like, I can't wait till you write your first book. And, and my mom is very kind of traditional. She's, you know, in, very involved in her church. And I'm thinking to myself, Mom, if I wrote a book, <laughs> I don't know if you will read it. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's definitely an idea, maybe down the line in the future when I'm, like, old and gray. But, yeah, I just <laughs> don't have the time now. I, I just really want somebody else to write it. <laughs> I could just refer it. Exactly. It's a lot of work writing that book. Mm-hmm. A lot of interviews, a lot of effort, and then a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Negative feedback just because of the subject. But, mm-hmm. again, should be written. 
by someone. <laughs> yeah, but who's going to be honest about it, especially when we're, we're talking about the African-American community, the Hispanic community, talking about swinging, talking about BDSM, or even poly, you know, because it is predominantly a white topic. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting about a lot of the research articles, some of the newer research articles that I found was, you know, they'll explain how they got the population that they used for the study. Um, and, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, not a lot of people of color responded to the survey or we didn't, you know, we didn't survey, you know, a lot of people in these particular population sets. And I'm always interested, well, was it the space that you were going to that there weren't a lot of people of color available or was it more you provided that to people of color, but they decided like, no, I don't want my business out there. I'm going to pass on this. Um, So I'm always curious about that when I'm reading like different research studies about, okay, like what was the reasoning behind that? So, yeah. We definitely know they're out there. Uh, Not this year, but the the last year we went to Atlanta Mm -hmm. for um, sex down South. That was it. Sex down South, which was, I heard about that. I want to get down there for that. Oh Oh, yes. Definitely. I'm going back. I had Mm -hmm. an absolutely wonderful time. But considering he was one of three white guys, no, there was there was at least a dozen. Didn't matter. Well, men and women. But oh, oh yeah, he threw the women in there too. Okay, it's like put it this way: we ran into someone at Woodhall, and it's like, oh, I remember you pointing to my husband, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember you. I'm like, yeah, I kind of blend in with the rest, and we just busted up laughing. <laughs> I felt the opposite of being the token black man. Yeah. <laughs> No, no I, could, exactly I could never feel that, but... <laughs> you were the token white boy. <laughs> but the point was, for the amount of attendees there, and I'll tell you, the enthusiasm that crowd had during some of the, the, the lectures and the performances, and the, it, it definitely exists. The population's out there, whether yes. they're hiding or they're just, you know, um, spread out, or, mm-hmm. or the people doing the surveys aren't finding them. I swear they were there. So mm-hmm. they're just, you know, just... Yeah. need to come out maybe speak a little bit more but it, it takes time yeah you know it definitely yeah. does and this is like you said within the past 30 years people are becoming a lot more comfortable with their sexuality and you know the world the society is we're not 100 percent there yet but they're a little bit more accepting um and so maybe you know in the next 30 years and you know the future there will be more openness about the different sexualities that are out there and people can feel comfortable sharing their stories with other people yep and start shedding some of the old stigma negativity demonizing (laughs) going to i hear the dog now (laughs) hi baby (laughs) going back to uh an experience i had um i met i met a latin man in Mm -hmm. the bdsm community and um, we were just having a talk about it, and he just said he could never be a dom. And I said, well, everyone's got a personality choice. You know, you got a mm-hmm. choice of what you want. It's like it's it's not that. It's being Latin. I don't want to be accused of hitting my wife the way my father hit my mother. And yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, I never even thought about it that mm-hmm. way of, mm-hmm. again, bringing up trauma for him, but also not wanting to fit into that stereotype. 
of being that machismo man controlling whatever on the mm-hmm. woman and he's like i prefer being being the sub on this which mm-hmm. again sub dom whatever you choose is great but it was pushed on him is what i felt like was the crime there mm-hmm. yeah so. i definitely get that um because there is that stigma of you know i can't be too aggressive in a sense because I don't want someone saying, oh, you're just a typical like Mexican man or typical black, angry black man type of thing. Um, and on the other flip side, you do want to enjoy something like this. You do want to try something, but it doesn't, the space doesn't warrant it because of your own, or maybe not just your own perce- perception of how you would look, but typically how others may see you as well. That's um, that difficult perception, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot in the community? Uh, not to, not in necessarily the swinger community. Maybe more so in the BDSM kink community. Mm-hmm. You'll see that a lot more um, of just trying not to go into those typical stereotypes. You know, I was speaking with one woman who is a dom, and she I asked her, you know, kind of what helped you choose whether you want it to be dominant submissive and she said I could never be submissive because you know it takes me back to slavery like I can't see myself being a slave Um, and there was so much trauma related to you know just the historical context of slavery and white people you know having ownership of different people because she specifically works with um, white men in her dom practice and you know, she was like, I, I couldn't see the roles reverse. And then a part of me, part of it being a dom helps me like get out some of those feelings of, you know, what happened to my ancestors. And now, you know, the role is reversed and I am in control of that. Um, so I see a little bit of it there, especially with that whole slavery mentality um, and not wanting, also not wanting to be fetishized as a black woman, especially, you know, there's a big kind of like people kind of push away from that because I don't want to, women will say, I don't want to be any white man's fetish. Like, I don't want them to just think like I, you know, am some type of, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word, but so <laughs> some type of object. Yeah, some yes. type of token and object like that. Like, I don't want to be that for them. Like, it's okay, you know, if my, you know, African-American man adores me and wants to love on me and things like that. But they feel weird when it may be, you know, a white guy in that sense, because it's like, well, are you thinking of me as like, you know, you really love me or you're really, you know, excited to be with me? Or is it more... Like, oh, I have this black girl and, you know, I can, you know, do what I want to this black girl and, you know, all my wildest fantasies just because she's black. Um, so it, it, some women are very careful entering those type of relationships with white men because of that dynamic. Somehow the scene from American Gods just popped into my head when you were describing all that. <laughs> Really? I've never seen that. Oh, my God. Um, There is a scene. um, I think the goddess name is Belith. Uh It's an African goddess. And she's very beautiful. And she gets off on people worshiping her. 
and Ooh. there there was this white guy just devoting herself loving her and everything and so she gets bigger and bigger and she just eats them and oh. through the vaginal cavity oh that sounds pretty cool <laughs> yeah because <laughs> is it just a show or is it a movie it's a show, it's a show. On, on stars it's actually a book called american gods and basically it's the story of the old gods versus the new gods and uh-huh. just the way you were describing the fetishize of women being worshipped by white men, it, it just it just popped into my head. So that's the mm-hmm. scene from American Gods there. And I think the book even describes it like that, too. I have to check that out. <laughs> that sounds very intriguing. Hmm. Yeah, because she does, like, almost every guy she devours is white and who worships her. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, the the more you mention that, the more I do I do understand that, and it probably it goes both ways, mm-hmm. of you know, white dating black, black dating white, or you know, even when me me and Angelique got together, <laughs> white dating Mexican, Latino, and this and that. Um, I I'm not patting myself on the back. I've dated black women. I've date I date women because they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do occasionally you know forget i won't say forget no i have actually uh heard someone introduce this is my black girlfriend and i'm like yeah i could kind of see that (laughs) and and this is going back several years but i'm like yeah i know it it just it could be a demoralizing thing Mm -hmm. if taken that way and and to kind of have it pushed on us by society that it might be that way that's Mm -hmm. damn that just complicates things. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, historically during slavery times and, you know, right, like very post-slavery, there was this, you know, stereotype that black people were over-sexualized, that we were these all just these sexual beings and all we wanted was sex um, from, I don't know if you've heard of the hot and top Venus. So have you two heard of the hot and top Venus? No, what is I'm, that? Is that a tw- okay. like 1920s? No, go ahead. Um, no, it was a little bit, I want to say it was earlier than that. Um, but the hot and top Venus, also she was named, her real name was Sarah Bartman. I, I may be pronouncing that wrong. Um, but she was from an African tribe. And they had found her and captured her because they said her genital, all of her genitals were so enlarged. And so they had captured her and put her on display at like different circuses and exhibitions and things like that. Um, And so it's just this idea that, you know, black people's genitalias are just so special and so like large and because they're so large um, and prominent that that increases their libido and they always want to lust and desire for sex. Um, And then with slavery, you know, women were being raped by the thousands by their slave masters and the white women would see that as the women, the black women being seductresses and you know seducing their husbands into their beds and so there was this myth that was like a huge myth (laughs) that you know just black people in general were so sexual Um, and I remember reading 
one of my articles from, I think it was like back in, wasn't that long ago, I want to say 1950s, 1960s, the article was um, published. And they were saying in their discussion notes that they were surprised that not more black people were in the swinging community because of their sexual prowess. And I was like, what the fuck? We are not any more sexual than any other population. Like, why would you be surprised that we're not more prominent in the swinger lifestyle and things like that? So it just it brings me back to that and just how historically it it we've always been seen as this you know these sexual beings. So of course you're going to be into all the alternative lifestyles <laughs> and kinks and things like that. So it's just. Uh, so, sometimes I get overwhelmed with reading all this stuff and I'm just like, oh my God, these people are crazy. Um, but yeah, yeah, this whole idea that we're so, so hypersexual is just has been a longstanding thing. And I think a lot of women who do have that knowledge about like our historical sexualization also shies away from possibly doing certain alternative lifestyle behaviors um, because they don't want to be seen as the, you know, the Jezebel or, you know, the kind of hot and top Venus where you're just all over the place, sexually anyway. So that's another kind of stigma that can preclude people from not wanting to share their information or, you know, be out there in these clubs and activities and things like that. But yet you're but yet, going to teach a kink 101 class coming up August 26th. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, uh, explain well, this whole transition now. <laughs> so the kink workshop came, um, it was the brainchild of myself and another colleague of mine, Tia Evans, who is also amazing if you ever want to get her on your podcast. Um, but we are developing this together in Philly because that's where we met. Um, and it's to help women like self-identified women bring that into their lifestyle. So it came because of all the hype about, you know, 50 shades of gray and all the books and now the movies that are coming out. And we were finding that people in our practice, cause she's also, um, a social worker, a clinical social worker in North Carolina. We found that in our practice, women were like, well, I read this stuff in this book and I kind of want to try some of it, but I have no idea what a star or I have no idea if my partner is going to be open to something like this. It sounds really interesting, but I'm scared. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to approach this subject. Um, so we were like, okay, well, let's, since we have so many people kind of asking us these these questions about it. Why don't we have a workshop on the very basics? Because I am by no means like a kink master. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't do the the tying and the ropes and the like. I can't do all that now. But the very basics, I can teach you how to communicate your needs to your partner. I can teach you some very basic kink activities that you probably just think are regular bedroom activities but they can still be considered kink um and we also tia you know what a great thing to the workshop is trying different household items that you can turn into you know kinky pervertibles kind of yes yes kinky pervertibles i like that <laughs> 
So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some games. We're going to have some very candid discussions and a lot of surprises to give away. We have some great sponsors um, that are helping us out with it. So we're super excited about it. And tickets are going pretty fast. <laughs> so we have a limited amount of tickets to sell. So hopefully if any of you listeners out there want to buy some tickets, get it soon before they sell out. And this was what, the 26th in Philly, right? Yes, 26th. Yes, August awesome. 26th. At the Sexual and Health Wellness Center at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania there. So yes. I just thought it was kind of interesting, that little segue there. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're saying one thing, but you're going to do another? Like, what? Yes. Yes. You're contradicting yourself here. <laughs> Oh, no, if I hadn't been already exhausted from traveling, I'd say, let's go to Philadelphia. <laughs> yes, he, yeah, here's a trip to Ikea. Thing, this kind of dissonance that happens is that, you know, you're afraid to be super sexual because of this history, but also you have this desire to explore this kind of kinky style of life. But it, it is very difficult sometimes to balance those two. It is because we don't even open up to our partners in some mm -hmm. of that. And one of the most interesting exercises, couple building exercises I've heard of, was go to Ikea or, or Walmart at 2 in the morning or wherever it is you feel you know comfortable in that. Go at your partner and just start walking through the aisles. You know, who cares if you pick up Lucky Charms or the milk for whatever it is? Keep your eyes out for pervertibles and talk to your partner about it as you're mm -hmm. going through it. Mm -hmm. And it can turn into... A, not just a bonding, but occasionally a laugh out loud experience because you'll go ahead and never look at a sofa the same way again. <laughs> you'll never walk through that kitchen aisle and see the egg whipper and go, oh, that, yeah, that's not an egg whipper no more. That, 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 that's the booty spanker. And <laughs> yeah, that sounds so. like a great activity. I'm, yeah, I might have to start using that one. Because it sounds like a lot of fun. I already have a dirty mind, so I'd probably just do that naturally with my <laughs> partner. But for those who have to kind of work on it and communicate a little bit more, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, because we were just seeing the description. Kinking on a budget. Yes, you could go to your mm -hmm. local dollar store there, get a couple of wooden sticks there, the bag yes. clips. There's there. so many treasure finds at the dollar store. Like, you have no idea. That can be used for sex stuff you could would never imagine because we we in preparation for the workshop like we were just going down a list like oh i got this one time and oh somebody told me about this item so and all of that we're gonna have at the workshop and one lucky winner will you know get to take some things home so it'll be fun it'll be a lot of fun that's awesome there it's a great transition there <laughs> Any tips or advice you would give to people of color in regards to opening up into these alternative lifestyles? First, what I like to tell anybody, whether they're a person of color or not, is just, you know, do the research on it. Figure out um, what this lifestyle would entail, how this would be different from your current lifestyle. Um, and what changes you may need to make in order to incorporate it a little bit more. Uh, and so you can do that by, you know, reading the traditional, you know, ethical slud and opening up and things like that. Um, but also try to reach out to people who are currently in the lifestyle 
and talk to them about it. Talk to how it's impacted their relationship. Um, and if you can't talk to like someone within that community, maybe talking to like a therapist or a counselor or a sex um, coach who can give you a little bit more information about like how to possibly do that, how to kind of guide you in that direction, because that's super important to find, you know, a professional who is kink aware, kink friendly, um, and like more aware of those non-traditional relationship styles. So that would probably be my first, like, go to like do this. (laughs) Um, the second tip I would give them, especially a person of color is to try to find community, try to find places, whether it's, you know, online places or someplace that maybe not in your own community. If you want to travel a little bit, I definitely have to say Atlanta (laughs) is great for people of color in a non-traditional, um, relationship styles, but even New York city has some, a few good places, but if you're not on kind of that East coast, try to find communities online that you can talk to and figure out. Cause there are a handful of websites that provide, uh, that are specifically geared towards people of color, some websites better than others, but you know, you can find that community and find people who you can talk to on a regular basis to give you more insight into that lifestyle. So those are probably the two main tips I would give people is finding community and doing your research. Yeah, I think oftentimes they forget to do that. They just nosedive thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. It's like, no, there's a yes. lot of research. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and this... that, like, yeah, that, and talking to your partner about it, like, so for at least swinging, you can't necessarily do that by yourself if you're already in a partnership, <laughs> some type of partnership. That might be considered cheating, and we don't want that to happen. Um, but, like, talking to your partner about this and, you know, having very candid conversations. Uh, Maybe, you know, if it's more you wanting to do this than your partner, bringing it up to them slowly, like, you know, asking, well, you know, I heard about, you know, this article about swinging. What do you think about that? Would you be interested in, you know, having this swinging relationship or no? Um, And just slowly introducing them with it, getting them more comfortable with the topic. And seeing how that works out. If they're completely against it, then that definitely may lead you into my therapy sessions. (laughs) (laughs) But then you can open them into negotiation. Okay, let's start with the baby steps here, you know? And I think people keep forgetting it it does take baby steps. You don't have to fully nosedive there. That's why I say slowly, (laughs) like this is going to be a gradual process. You're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, I want to be a slinger. Let's start this today. Like, let's go to a party tonight. No, (laughs) this will probably be months, sometimes years of preparation um, for you and your partner to get on the same page, maybe testing out and maybe going to a party and just watching and not necessarily playing or doing anything like that but you know maybe just talking to people and seeing how the vibe is for you and then just increments up from there and that's something people don't think about showing up and not having to do anything it's not Mm -hmm. like when you pay the fee at the front door you're obligated to 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 get naked and bend over (laughs) 
from my experience, a lot of the clubs have two separate areas. They have like a lounge area where you, it's just like a regular club. You can dance, you can have your drinks, you can just have fun. And then they have like a separate play area where you can go. And if you're interested in that, you do that. If you don't, you just stay and like party like you would regularly at any, you know, nightclub. And that's okay. And I There's think no they pressure. Have, and the only pressure is is dating. Because now you're <laughs> dating as a couple and looking for other couples or another, you know, single person. That's even more stressful. And yeah. people have to understand, just because you're trying to swing, it the same rules does not apply like when you're single dating. You still get the same frustrations <laughs> if, if you don't get the right hookups. And then you got to come up with secret codes and trying to get the, yourself out of a bad date. Exactly, exactly. And you're not just finding, you know, some, I mean, depending on what you and your partner's boundaries are, but sometimes you're not just find, looking for one person. Like if you're looking for another couple, both people need to be attracted to both people in that other couple. It's not, no, I'm going to take one for the team. <laughs> like, I, we both need to be attracted to the, both people or at least one person in the relationship. Because um, I find that a lot, too. And some of my couples who are just starting that process, she's like, oh, I like her, but I don't really like him. And he's like, she's not cute. Like, no, I don't want to date her. <laughs> so it, it may take a long time for you to find a pair that you want to kind of play with. Um, that's why I think a lot of people, a lot of couples tend to try to go for the single female because um, it's a lot easier <laughs> to kind of match up with. But then it's harder to find just single females who aren't in other relationships. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot that happens with single females and couples. So <laughs> that would be a whole nother <laughs> podcast episode. Well, um, unicorns never last long because there's so yeah. many unicorn hunters out there. Yes, there's a lot <laughs> that goes on with that. <laughs> so and there's a lot of people who are just like, you know, we're just going to try to find a couple. And we'll find a couple that's good for us and hold on to that couple for as long as we can. <laughs> oh, the problems we have. Yeah, yes. it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. That's why I always say, like, Make sure this is a lifestyle that you want. If it's just going to be a hobby, okay. But if this is more of a lifestyle change, be sure you want to do this because it's a lot of work. Agreed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think people keep forgetting that part. It's like, especially if they've been together as a couple for many years and they kind of forgot what the dating scene is like. Oh, yeah. Rude awakening. <laughs> it is brutal. <laughs> And it all depends on the area, you know, because here in Central Florida, we we hit a patch recently that it was all high school drama. You had your jocks, your cheerleaders, you had your goth, and we're like, we're all swinging. Can't we just all get along? <laughs> yeah, it can be super cliquish. Like, who are you going to sit with in the cafeteria? <laughs> yup. It was just like, no. You have, like, your... OG swingers who's been doing this for a long time and then you have the newbies and you know sometimes the OGs want to pounce on the newbies and it's it's hilarious there's a lot of uh, uh, different dynamics that happen 
Oh, oh yeah, and then trying to teach him. It's like, oh, you know, no, this is the way you do it. It's like, no, that's not how I did it. So come on, it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. And, and don't be telling me what bisexuality is based on your definition. Yep, because it's completely different for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it should just be about respect. Everyone's got their own practices. Everyone's mm-hmm. got their own opinions, and we're already a minority group. Yeah, but. I find out in many minority groups, we are cannibalistic. We do do tend to turn on each other, whether it's because, well, he's a swinger, so he's on our side, but he's bisexual, so he's Mm -hmm. on their side. Or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, it's it's Mm -hmm. little petty stuff that people look for to divide us. And those are the things we need to downplay and and just get rid of. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as people know their boundaries heading into those situations, it can help out tremendously, whether it's your own personal boundaries or your boundaries as a couple, um, talking about that and kind of figuring it out as much as you can ahead of time. So sometimes situations pop up that you never would have thought <laughs> you would have been in. And he was like, Oh, I didn't really like that. So we, we got to talk about that. How are we going to handle that situation next time it comes up? Um, so yeah, just being super like open and communicate as much as you possibly can and process. I'm big on processing. So <laughs> you go to an event, you, whatever happens, happens. And then you kind of debrief, whether it's the next morning and the car ride home, <laughs> just, you know, talk about it, talk about what actually happened, how you felt about it. Um, if there's anything you want to do differently the next time. Yeah, that's super important. And then another funny conversation I, I got involved in was lifestyle addiction. Mm. And the first the, the, the first thing I was told is, how do you know you're addicted to the lifestyle? And it was, okay, <laughs> six months ago, how often did you hang out with your vanilla friends? Oh, well, you know, every other weekend we'd go out and get drinks. Okay, when's the last time you saw them? And they're like, oh, my God, I'm addicted. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay to mix them up. Maybe not mix them together, but take a week off, go uh-huh. out with the boys, play some cards, go go whatever whatever people do, go to a bar, you know. And then, you know, if you completely abandon your vanilla friends uh with the obsession of a new lifestyle, it, it does borderline an addiction. And it, it is. It's 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 what is it? It's NRE. Yes, it, I was just thinking that. I was like, yeah, the NRE is happening. You might have to come down from it for a little while. <laughs> but before That's you turn cool. around and go, oh, my God, I have no friends that are outside the lifestyle. Uh-huh. That, not to say we're not great friends in the lifestyle. I got plenty of those. But everyone needs a little mix. Yeah, it's good to have a mix. Because sometimes you don't want to, you know, be in that environment all the time. You just want vanilla, <laughs> you want a vanilla activity somewhere. So, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I got to, once again, another thing I have to use. I might have to write that down. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we come up with many of those throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> Shanta, it has been a blast having you on the show. I appreciate yes, your time. This is so much fun. Oh, how can our fans find you? Um, so I'm everywhere. <laughs> You can mostly reach me on my website. So it's www.bluewellnesscenter.com. And that if you want to schedule therapy appointments or schedule book workshops or anything like that, you can reach me there. I'm also on Instagram under NJ Sex Therapist. And 
we also have a Facebook page, Blue Counseling and Wellness Center. So you, either three of those, any one of those, perfectly fine. I try to, I communicate a lot more in my Instagram. I'm big on Instagram. I love it. Um, so NJ Sex Therapist is where you can find me personally. Awesome. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Woodshed, who's actually having fire this weekend, Florida Intensive Rope Experience, which we will be there broadcasting. We don't know live yet because we got to check to see the Wi-Fi, but we'll definitely have recordings and interviews from the people attending. You can find me everywhere on Living a Sex Positive Life because I am very active on the social media there. Uh, and you could also <laughs> find me as John C. Luna on Facebook, Twitter, or FetLife. Say hi, friend me out, and uh, strike up a conversation. I'm always always looking for new content material. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a good evening. Bye. Good night. Bye.